What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Blue Collar Enlightenment Show. It's your host, Jonah, here. Welcome to the first ever video-recorded Blue Collar Enlightenment Show. And we welcome David Edwards. He's a author, ex-military, correct? And we're yeah, ex-military. Yeah. We're going to be talking about Atlantis today. And uh, yeah. you know a lot, quite a lot about that. I've been... Uh, I listened to most of your YouTube videos. Oh, did you? Good, yes. good, 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 good. Yeah, I'm I'm working hard on those. I'm you know, it takes it takes a long time to lay the story out. So I started at the beginning and I'm just working through it. I've got up have you got to the Malta ones yet? Uh I'm at the Crete one right now. I just I just okay. passed Crete, so after they, that. They get a lot better. When I get into Malta, we actually start to find you know, a lot of it's kind of theory and just, uh, you know, almost like schoolwork, right? Setting it all up at the beginning because you got to do that. And that's why I put in the videos, which is how can you look for something if you don't know what you're looking for? Correct. So, yeah. So on, on, on the YouTube channel, which is, thank you for mentioning, it's my new YouTube channel, A History Of. Um, I'm going through the videos. I kind of, and I start off, I, I, I figure out where the story of Landis came from for real. I trace its origin all the way back um, to the event, which we can go over here too. Uh, and then we talk about what Plato wrote, what he knew. We we break down uh, the dialogues, and then we start looking. Uh, and I guess you know, in the videos, if someone's just watching the videos and they haven't read the book or listened to me talk, you know, they're they're on uh, hopefully on the edge of their seat as they go through the journey with me. Of course, if you read the book, you can jump right to the end because the book is a proof of where the capital city is. What the videos are doing is laying out kind of the um, the kingdom. Because Atlantis, what we know, we know a lot of things about Atlantis from from the dialogues. If we assume that these Platonic dialogues are accurate, uh, one thing that they say in the dialogues is Atlantis was actually in ten places. You, you, you never hear that. Uh, you always hear it's one place or something. But it was actually ten. It was ten provinces. It had a capital, which is what we typically look for, right? It's, it's the capital is described fairly in detail. It's, it's that center island with the concentric rings of water and land. But mm -hmm. there were nine other provinces and there were nine other princes all over um, the Atlantic that uh, that ruled their own their own areas. So, you know, a, a lot of times the stuff we find is not the capital city of Atlantis, but it's probably, you know, left over from what was going on at, in, at the time period. Awesome. And you, uh, you're actually going to be sharing stuff with us, uh, showing us different things, right? Uh, so I, I to kick get... this off, let's, let's, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into this. Well, so I'm kind of, I'm a, I'm a platypus. I, um, I've been very lucky in life. Uh, I work very hard, but I got to do a lot of things. Um, when I, I barely made it out of high school and I, and I did get into college, uh, but I dropped out after a year. And I realized I was a smart guy, but I didn't really have the discipline that life needed to be successful. So I joined the Army. Um, and I was in the Army in the 80s and 90s. And I was part of the team that um, arrested Noriega in Panama. And I saw combat there. Then I was in um, Honduras, at what they called the Sotocano Air Base, which a couple years before, uh, because I'm so old, <laughs> they had been flying the, uh, the weapons in for the Iran-Contra thing. It had all gone through this air base in Honduras. I had no idea when I was there. What I was doing, I was attached to the DEA, and we had just started our war on drugs um, in the very early 90s. And what it was happening, the, the, as I understand it, the CIA had, had run Pablo Escobar and Noriega for a while and had put in a, um, a, a trade route 
if that's what you want to call it. Basically, a route where they could fly DC-9 planes from Colombia, they refuel them in Honduras, and then they land them in Texas. And that's how they were getting the cocaine um, into the country. Then Noriega broke from the CIA, and Pablo Escobar kind of broke with them. And at that point, Pablo Escobar was making like $700 million a day in cash oh around God. the world. selling. I mean, just the weight, just the sheer weight of the money he was making was incredible. But what we were doing was, so he kept, they kept flying the planes. We knew, you know, the, the, the American government had set the whole thing up. So we kind of knew with, we knew all the different ways they would land. And what we would do is we would track the fuel. And then when they would land the planes, we'd confiscate the planes. Um, so I did that for six months. And then my stateside assignment was with the 513th MI out of Fort Monmouth. And they, two weeks before I got there, they were forward deployed over to Desert Shield, Desert Storm. So I got to uh, take a commercial flight over to Saudi Arabia. And that's my, my stateside assignment. It was actually spent over there during the first Gulf War. Um, so I had, a, I had an exciting time. Well, I appreciate your service, man. Well, thank you. And you were in too, right? Is that right? Yeah, I spent six years in the Navy. Yeah, six years in the Navy. Yeah, six so I, I did. Long yeah. years, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking earlier, and a buddy of mine worked the flight. He was on the flight crew on an aircraft carrier. And he said, You were on aircraft carriers too, right? Yeah, I was on the uh, George Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Was that made? It was made of wood, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. Wooden teeth, <laughs> wooden anchors. Yeah. Wooden teeth, wood, yeah. Well, ply, plywood for the planes, the whole thing. I know. Yeah, yeah. that's great. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I had a blast. I mean, and, there was... and thank you for your service, too. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't even like to do that thank you for your service thing. I don't know how you feel about it. I, I feel that people say it to me as a way of dismissing the service sometimes mm -hmm. versus, you know, because, you know, I think, you know, and then they're done with it. So I, uh, I'm not, you know, I mean, between you and me, obviously it's, it's a lot different, but, um, yeah. that saying culturally has made a big circle. It's in my awkward. Mind. It is awkward. It is. And then it's awkward. At that point you're yeah. like, what? Why? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, really didn't do it for you, dude. I did it for me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Was it selfless? I don't know. I, you know, it, it was the yeah. right life path for me. It had nothing to do with you. I mean, I guess thanks for paying the tax dollars. So I had got paid a salary. It wasn't very much, but, uh, yeah, you know. but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's culturally, I mean, I'm glad the the spirit of it, I think is right. Mm -hmm. Um, but people feel obligated to do it, which takes, I think the spirit of it away. I don't know. I just, I, yeah, like you said, it's just awkward. It's just, it's awkward. I, I'm uncomfortable when I hear it. So, oh yeah. Whenever, uh, let's see, I spent probably six, eight months after boot camp just hanging out in Chicago and we had to wear our uniforms out every time we left base and you would get that constantly, just constantly. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I got to fight with a lot of, uh, a lot of people in the Navy. <laughs> we, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it, it doesn't drunk and rowdy and yeah. We, well, and in know. Panama, you know, the ships were always coming and going and everything. Yeah, but I learned. I learned if I went into a bar and there are a lot of uh, people in the Navy, I'd yell, "There's too much semen in here!" And then you know, I'd... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all in good camaraderie. I mean, we could. It all really was. It really was. You know, and we would fight. We'd, we'd hurt each other, but th there was some line you knew wouldn't get crossed, and and there was. I mean, it was it was it was a way of letting off steam, honestly. So it's just yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's and the Navy the was way... Navy. You were the funnest ones to banter with. Because uh, we always he, gave it back, you know. The Marines, they get they they're so hot headed and short fused that they can't. I'm just gonna say, it. yeah, you can't you can't say anything to them. They get mad. And they want to fight right away. It's like I'm not trying to do. I just you know I'm you know wash your fucking hands when you leave the bathroom. I don't know, but don't don't get mad at me. 
the Marines? biggest thing I could say about the Marines is remember that you have an anchor behind that eagle. <laughs> That's right. And don't forget where y'all come from. Someone's got to get you there, right? Yeah. The, the Air Force guys, I actually worked on an Air Force base. I lived on an Army base, but our office, whatever you want to call it, was on an Air Force base in Panama. And, uh, you know, those the Air Force guys, they only have to run a mile for their, for their PT. They only, they, oh, dude, it's worse than that now. Because when I got right? out, they were doing, they were doing, uh, heck, they were starting to do it in all the branches. They're letting them do it on ellipticals and stationary bikes. And What's an elliptical? Yeah, see, I think I'm older than you. I, when, when were you in? Uh, from 2007 to 2013. Yeah. Damn, and that I, was 2000... in, I was in 20 years before you. Yeah, well, there's wow, a whole wait. different. Well, I call it the culture as it was really starting to the change out of the older yeah. ways of doing things. And so when I got out, I seen the change in the way they were going. Yeah, it was. I've, Look, when when I got turned into crap because you weren't working out anymore. You weren't. You were doing like Pilates and yoga and stuff like that. You weren't. You weren't doing anything productive. You know. I, have, I have no reference for that whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. No, we. I mean, we. They. They worked as hard. You know, when I was. I mean, twenty years. You know, I, I. When I. My basic training. I went to Fort Dix, which they closed like a couple years after I was there, and I was in the first uh, platoon, the first company, the first battalion that went through basic training where we had female drill sergeants. They still trained separately. I don't know if they trained separately today or not, but they had integrated. They, they, we were integrated. The forces were integrated, but the training, the basic training was separated, except they had just let female drill sergeants in on the, uh, to the male side. And I had the, I was the first group. We had the first, as far as I know, the first female drill sergeant, or at least one of the first. Um, and she was me, man. She, she was bet. all over. She was all over me. She had proven something, and I was the one she was going to prove it to. You know, it was just like <laughs> <laughs> she had a point to prove, and she needed the person to uh, prove it to. Yeah, I was in. Well, let's say um, I can't speak for all the other branches, but we had females in our barracks and boot camp. Yeah, and they I mean, were camp, finding. They were finding. Th they would have a male and a female in the mail office and they would, it would seem like weekly they would find that male and female doing some dirty stuff in the mail room. And so yeah, see, male people got changed constantly. The basic training, I, you know, I don't know anything about, you know, culturally, I don't know. In basic training, you haven't learned the military discipline yet. Mm -hmm. Not that you don't do incredibly more stupid stuff once you're done, but you do learn something and you haven't learned it yet. So yeah, that's, I, I can see that happening. I mean, I we, we had a we had a guy just in basic training who we, we had pay phones and he he rang up like eight thousand dollars worth of calling like the sex lines um, instead of calling home he's calling oh, collect crap. yeah I know and they kind of yeah I think he went to I think he went to army jail I mean they came and got him because who was going to pay he didn't have it you know so <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy sitting in the booth. Oh yeah, I needed to hear that. <laughs> exactly. It's like I don't know, dude. I mean, basically, it was tough, but it wasn't that tough. My lord, eight thousand dollars—that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's only a couple weeks, man. Just hold it in. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. But uh, anyway, okay, we reminisce. Yeah, so oh, sorry. So I guess I was telling you about myself. So I did all that stuff, and I got out, and I could have reenlisted, just like you probably. But I mm -hmm. said, you know what? 
um college doesn't look anywhere near so bad now <laughs> so and I, and I had learned you know I had learned what I needed to learn so I actually went back to school I started a company uh, which is doing very well still still is in existence today I still own it and then I went back to school and I earned a bachelor's degree I earned three master's degrees and a doctorate in engineering so um wow. I have that background and then I was president of a university for a number of years Aspen University is a good school um so I have a foot and I've taught tons of courses i've taught all the way from community colleges to graduate programs both online and on ground and all that I taught at the uh, community college of denver for many years when i was in colorado um from that i moved back to florida because colorado's cold if you <laughs> keep in score yeah um and when uh the pandemic hit the company was doing okay and and what we do is we we produce um safety technology that goes into north american commercial transporters like semi trucks and stuff oh um, so so lockdowns or no lockdowns i mean that we saw we certainly saw an impact but you know the, the freight's got a roll and it did roll for the most part so our systems were still in use but so i had time because i didn't have to do very much so i started writing um and i've written 45 books i've written 45 books in in however long we've been locked down or i know we're not locked down now but in two and a half three years let's say three years and a lot um, of them are right there behind you on the wall mm -hmm, yep so yeah, behind me, like this one, Panama Red. This is kind of my biggest hit, I guess. Uh, it's um, the first in a series. Uh, and there are all the books in the series on the bottom there. And this has sold 100,000 copies, so which is pretty good. And it's not Stephen King good, but it's 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 better than self-publishing normally uh, by yeah. quite a bit. Um, and uh, it's it's based, it's historically based on what was going on in Central and South America when I was there in the 80s and 90s. But it's not... It, it's fiction. It's not. I'm not inserting myself into. I'm not telling any stories I did. Um, although I, I, I do put notes at the beginning. Some of the action set pieces are things that actually happened. The context is completely different. But you know, just it's like like we raided a. a, a they had, in Panama there was what they call the PDF, the Panamanian Defense Force. And yep. for the first eight nine months I was there, we we, had, we were hostile towards them, kind of. But we're also in country. You know, they were the police. Um, but things got worse. So we had, we had problems. And towards before we invaded, about a month before we invaded, five weeks before we invaded, it kind of all went to heck. We were locked down on the post. And they actually, the PDF had started capturing uh, troop soldiers that were out and then interrogating them. And they had done that to um, a second lieutenant in our company. And we went and got them, basically, at a police station. Um, and so that's like, that's in the book, completely different context. But like the, because, you know, there was gunfire and everything, but those kinds of things. Uh, but people seem to like it. They see, they tell me it, it's um, it's dark and gritty. I, I I thought it was a fun. I thought it was fun. <laughs> I thought it was like an adventure book. Um, but I you know, well, I know. our <laughs> type of fun and a civilian's type of fun is two different things. Yeah, yeah, way it, too it, different things. It must. It really. It really is. It really is because I really thought this was fun, and it is. I mean, it is fun, but. I reread it. It's like, okay, yeah, okay. You know, there's some grittiness. So in the second book, Drive Faster, I made pure fun. It's just, it's like, uh, it's like, um, I, don't, I don't know, you know, it's, just, it's like an action, 90 minute action movie. And then I basically alternated. And the third book is dark and serious again. Then this one, which I think is the best one, Prayer Drum, I think is my best book. Uh, they go on an adventure in what they call the Dorian Gap and they, there's cannibals and headhunters and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and then the last book's kind of dark, but yeah, the Prairie Realms kind of an adventure. But anyway, so I tried to alternate them in the series. So, Do you have any of them out on audiobook? I have the, the Panama Red, I have on audio, but I don't have it where anyone can buy it. I, I sell it when I go to trade shows and stuff. 
okay. um, and I recorded the audio for it. Um, and I, you know, it's it's the hardest thing maybe I've ever done. It is so hard to read your own work back, you know, in in a commercial way. But if you pay someone for one of these audiobooks, you got to pay them a couple thousand dollars to read it. Wow. Um, and I, you know, hmm. I, I mean, I made, I did, I did okay money wise. But if I paid a two thousand dollars for every book, that you know, and I have forty five books, that's getting to be a lot of a lot of fat. That's ninety thousand yeah, dollars. You know, I mean, I'm not going to probably make ninety thousand dollars back on audiobooks. So, yeah, so that's tough. a lot of money. Yeah, would be, would be. But yeah, but so that's half the books. The other half is history, history books. I like history and I like ancient history. Um, so I've written books on the Mayan, the Aztec, uh, the Inca, um, all kinds of books like that. And I've written some some other books. Like if I researched um, a topic for one of my fiction books, like I did a book that, that had Harry Houdini in it. So I released that as I, all my notes in my research, I released as a book on Harry Houdini, you know, that kind of stuff. So they kind of fed off each other. Um, and then maybe... Maybe a year ago at this point, maybe maybe 10, 10 months ago, uh, because I'm an old guy that I keep saying, and I, I can't sleep, I'll watch YouTube at night when I'm out of TV and there's nothing nothing else on. And YouTube fed me a video on Atlantis. Um, uh, this channel, Bright Insight, by this guy, um, Jimmy Corsetti. Uh, and he was, he was actually in the Army, too. He was in the Army Reserve. In fact, he was in the same time you were in, but he was in the Reserves, but then they got called up. So he actually was in Iraq as a reservist for, for like a year and a half. I mean, you know, I mean, a whole, a whole tour. Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah. And he, so he kind of, he kind of backed into his army experience, but when he was there, he, he looked at a lot of the ancient stuff, which is kind of where the bug bit him. And then this, and then he is the one who kind of had the video that went viral about this Rishat structure, which is what we're going to talk about okay. um, as far as being the capital of Atlantis. And I watched his videos. And I'm like, Man, dude, I mean, he does a pretty good, he's, he's a way better salesman than I am. Um, he doesn't have the background I have, the, the, uh, the education and, and all, and he's not as well read as I am on, I've read all Plato and all the ancient Greek stuff just casually because I like reading it. Um, but he put it all together, um, but he got a few things wrong. So anyway, I wanted to jump in and help him because he doesn't do it. He's been on Joe Rogan, um, but he, he doesn't quite close the sale. And I've talked to him. He's a nice guy. He's a brilliant guy. Um, and and he, he, but he, cause he's not confident enough, like to close the deal. So I'm like, dude, we got to close the deal because I think this is it. I think the whole, I think it's been solved. And if it's been solved and we can get the word out and it can be accepted as having been solved, then we've just doubled human history. And now we can start standing on that precipice that, cause we're talking about 9,600 BCE. We can get into why that's the date. But now we can stand on that precipice and look even farther back. Right now, that's as far back as we can see. That's actually that's as far back as we even look. We don't even look that far back, honestly. They look back to about seven thousand BCE, which is about nine thousand years ago. Um, right. You know, academics. So what I'm doing, the book is just a proof. The book just goes through what the Platonic dialogues say, and it, it decomposes them, and then it does the uh, geographical analysis, right, for this this Rishat structure. What I'm doing with the YouTube videos. Um, is laying out the whole case, all the research I did that got me to that conclusion. Because, you know, I can just look and read something and maybe it takes me half an hour, but that doesn't mean everyone knows that I read it and understands why I made the leaps that I made. So I'm trying to, in these videos, kind of methodically walk through everything. Because it's, it's, it's incredibly interesting. And when you dig into it, you start to see that the argument that something was going on during the last Ice Age is very strong. It's not just compelling. Um, and, and, and people in this space, they, they, they tend to say things like, 
archaeologists and anthropologists don't agree. They don't believe in Atlantis or this or that. So the other thing I'm doing when I go through these videos is I break down how far apart we are from the established academic view with the, uh, the view that would mean what Plato tells us about Atlantis is true. And what we find time and time again is it's not as far apart as, as it's, it's said to be. Um, it's within, like, I, time is a lot of what I'll use for measurements. So, for example, Crete, which is an island in uh, the Mediterranean, it's uh, a Greek island. It's in, uh, kind of sits between um, uh, Greece and uh, Egypt. Right. And it had um, the, the uh, Minoans were on it, which we kind of all know. Any, anything, anytime you ever watch any video on Atlantis ever, they start with Crete every single time, either Crete or Santorini, but, but Crete. And the thing with Crete is there was a big temple there and there was like, they have all the frescoes, the murals on the wall are still there so they can see them. And it's, it's, it's called Nosos, K-N-O-S-S-O-S. Uh, and it looks Atlantean uh, because, you know, they, like they had a bull, bull cult and they jump over bulls and, you know, stuff. And that stuff that's talked about around Atlantis. Um, that that island, which is very big, has been inhabited for 130,000 years, it turns out, when I learned this in my research. And I'm like, okay. So then I started asking academics, well, how long have boats been around? And maybe, maybe 4,000 years, they'll say, you know, ish. Um, it's like, well, wait, well, okay. So I have a tool that will lower the ocean levels up or down. So you got to lower them 400 feet to see what it looked like in 9600 BCE, which is the, the time of, of the tale. And uh, when you lower it, not much changes around Crete, but there's certainly, there's no land bridge or anything. I mean, it's still right. um, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of miles. It might, might not be a hundred miles, but it's getting close to that, to anything else, you know, you and, and you'd have to island hop and you can't swim. No one's, no one's putting their, their family and their dog on their back and swimming from Greece to Crete, you know, a hundred thousand years ago, who would do that? Yeah. Uh, so, so. The fact it's populated is interesting, and it's not really addressed in the legends, but we know the, the academic view of Crete is that in 7,000 BCE, there was a cultural um, transformation, an agrarian, an agrarian transformation, um, where they transitioned from Neolithic hunter-gatherers to ne uh, an agrarian Neolithic society. Okay, that's interesting, because 9,600 BCE and 7,000 BCE are getting pretty close. Yeah. I mean, it, they're, they're twenty. They're, it's like if you if you take all the years between ninety six hundred and now, and you figure the gap out, it's like a twenty five, twenty seven percent gap. But that's not that big a gap. And these dates back this far in time, it's not like your birthday, you know, my birthday. I mean, it, it's it's very much an estimation. And the example I use is Malta, which is another island in the Mediterranean. Up until the well. The belief all through the all through my life, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, uh, the teens, all of that has been that that agricultural transformation happened on Crete in 7000 BC, happened on Malta in 5200 BCE. So like 1800 years later, even though they're not terribly fall apart, far apart, but that's still it's a pretty big gap. But then in 2018, they found uh, a team in um, Queens College in. Uh, Budapest, I, uh, is it Budapest? I think it's Budapest or Belfast. I, yeah, Belfast, I think. Um, they did research and they found uh, dental, they found DNA and teeth that pushed that 5200 date back to 5900. So it pushed it back 700 years. Well, that was just four years ago. 
you know, I mean, so so that gap, you know, the gap is constantly closing and, and they're constantly finding things that push the dates farther back. They're not finding stuff that brings that bring the dates forward. So what happens when you look at Atlantis and you look at all those provinces and you even look at the Rishat stretch and all stuff we found there, no one, no, there is no academic that's going to argue that these places were occupied. They, they, everyone, they, they would agree, probably are occupied. Mm -hmm. um, the question just becomes, were they Atlantis? And then, you, and then what you get into is you have a perception problem. Because what we think, what we hope Atlantis is, is nuclear submarines, UFOs, death ray crystals, and an advanced, you know, uh, uh, agrarian society of peace-loving, yeah, I don't know, right? Alien Academic, type fish. Alien philosophers, things. yeah. Yeah, fish things, yeah. yeah, right, whatever, yeah. But if you push all that aside and you just say, okay, maybe Atlantis was just uh, a bunch of organized um, people during the Neolithic period doing stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, is there any precedent for that? Turns out there is. There's this thing called Gobegle Tepe, which is not, it's far away. It's a couple thousand miles away, but it's not, it's still in the same part of the, it's still around the Mediterranean. And Gobegle Tepe, which they found in the 19, either 50s or 60s, but it's, it's only really in the past 10 years, mostly because of Graham Hancock, who everyone hates right now, yeah. uh, been thoroughly uh, um, investigated. And it and academically, it 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 hard it has a hard date to that ninety six hundred BCE date. So we we have we can look we can go look at Gobegli Tepe in Turkey and other places they're finding. I think there's like ten of these tepe, tepes they're finding. And we find I think we finally found the beginning of something because a lot of times, like in Egypt, for example, you, you find stuff, but you can't really find the progression. You know, all of a sudden in twenty nine. 100 BCE, the first dynasty, the first dynasty of Egypt materializes because they have writing. Mm -hmm. Well, we can't really find the 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 pre-writing stuff. It's just it just burst onto the scene, you know, with writing. And the same thing, uh, and and many places you look at seem to have that. You look, you go over into South America and Central America. A lot of the in Mexico and all that. A lot of the temples, the Mayan temples, the Aztec temples, the Inca temples. You look at them. And it looks like the foundation is using bigger blocks and is better built than the stuff that's higher up. And it looks like the stuff that's higher up has been rebuilt. Isn't there a temple down there that has a pyramid stacked on a pyramid stacked on a pyramid? In uh, in uh, in Mexico, Mexico City? I think it's one of, it's somewhere down in it's either South America or in the Mexico Mexican area, but there's a there's a uh, temple that uh it's a pyramid that there's another pyramid built on top and they're saying that these pyramids were built over time the first one was built and it started degrading and so they decided to build another one and there's some kind of significance to this temple that they wanted to preserve them you find that everywhere in, in yeah. central and south america you find that everywhere now some people will, will argue that they're not being rebuilt that it's just how they built it and that's that's closer to the mainstream view ish sometimes but you but if you just look it's 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 so obvious you can look there's actually and, and the guy who i go to for this is named brian forrester have you heard, heard of him brian forrester i have not i i, I highly look, recommend looking him up on youtube if anyone's listening look him up on youtube he's got a channel what he does he, he runs tours he, he lives in lima peru and he runs tours all over south america but he records it all on video and then every day or two he'll release a video of him just walking around one of these sites but so watching his channel you can see firsthand 
all these places you'd never be able you'd never be able to get to. And he's literally just walking around. So it's even better than like a documentary because he's showing you everything. Hmm. And he talks while he's doing it and he explains stuff. And that's basically his theory is you can look and you can see the different layers of um technology. And they they looks like the farther back in time you go, it seems like um the technology is more advanced and it's getting less advanced. With and I say all of that because with these tepes in Turkey, that's not what we found. We've actually found earlier tepes, these 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 stone constructions that are very massive, and we can see them getting better at it. And it kind of culminating in this Gobegle Tepe thing in 9600 BCE. But to get better at it, you're talking about hundreds of years, probably, of work. Um, but this is one of the first times we found that progression. We don't normally find that progression. So it could be that we're onto something with this time period. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so let's take a quick break real quick, and we'll come back and uh, just a quick ad break. This episode is brought to you by MyArchit.com. MyArchit.com is an online digital archival company preserving the legacy of loved ones and friends. Everyone, we live our lives digitally, cradle to grave, and we save them to devices, clouds, and social media sites that either delete you, censor you, or get lost due to faulty equipment or mishandling. We have thousands of pictures and videos on our devices that get clicked away with no story behind the images that give them real meaning and emotion. Imagine your great-great-grandkids being able to bring up your pictures and videos to hear your life and your words and thoughts. People want to be remembered, and people want for you to be remembered. So head to myarkit.com. That's M-Y-A-R-K-I-T dot com. And start recording your legacy for your future generations to enjoy. And we're back. Uh, this We're going to roll into a different segment now where you got a little bit of proof that you're going to show to us of different places. And uh, yeah, let's proceed into that. Okay. Let me share my screen. Okay. Everything has changed. Hold on. There we go. Okay. Can you see this? Can you hear my mouse moving? Yes. Okay. So this is a free flood map I use. I'm going to use this. I'm going to use Google Earth, and I'm just going to use some images that we find. Anyone can go here. It's floodmap.net. And what this does is it allows you to set the water level up or down so you can see what happens when the the, the sea levels rise or fall. Oh, that's pretty um, interesting. So this is it's one of the first tests I do when I'm examining a place for Atlantis, because the first place I'll do is I, I drop the sea level 400 feet, because that's how far down it was when all the ice was on the ice caps during the last ice age instead of in the water. And then I look at it and I see if it tells me anything. So here, we're just talking about Cree. I'll do, we'll do, tell you what, we'll look at three things. We're going to look at Cree, then we're going to look at Malta, um, and then we're going to look at where I think the capital city is, because I think these two places were one of those provinces, but I think the capital city is in this thing called the Rishat structure, which we'll look at. So and it's so, not really out of the question to think that Atlantis isn't just a city, but a whole empire. Well, so one of the things that I think is, see, it, it, Atlantis has become so confused and so many people have said something, uh, spoken about it as though they know, knew what they were talking about. Some people do. Some people don't. Some people listen to someone that knows what they're talking about, and then they, they, they try and repeat it. What the dialogues tell us is that Atlantis was three things. It was a capital city, which is what we all hear about. That's what we all talk about. Right. It was a, it was, the capital city was on a continent. And then Atlantis was a kingdom 
made up of the capital city and nine other provinces for a total of 10 provinces. And they were ruled by um, five sets of twins. Each, each person ruled one of the prov provinces, but they were born in twins. And they were supposedly uh, the, the, the sons of Poseidon and a mountain farm girl. That's not important to me. Um, but I think the, but it gives us the names of all of the, all those, all the princes, all the sons, all the twins. And yep. I think those names tie to places that, that phonetically or linguistically we can, uh, research to see if they link to any of these other places that some people think is Atlantis. So like, for, so, and, and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to come up with like a unified way of looking at this, that, that, um, uh, answers that is the simplest answer and uses all the information and all the passion that people have. So some people will tell you that Atlantis was Crete, which is this thing right here. Okay. Now it can't, it, it, when they say Atlantis was Crete, this is the first thing. What do they mean when they say Atlantis? No one knows what they mean. What they, they think it's gotta be one place. And typically when they say they, when they say what they think they know where it is, is they think that they, they're typically talking about the capital, the, the city with the rings. Okay. So we'll, we'll look for that, but let's just look, we know. So here's Greece. Here's Egypt. One of the things that the Platonic dialogues tell us is that the Atlanteans um, who, so, who were located outside of the Strait of what they call Heracles, which we think is the Strait of Gibraltar, which is right here. So the Atlanteans, the capital city, it says, is somewhere out here, somewhere outside of this thing right here. So these are the Azores, could be those. This is the Rishats could be right here. Some people think it's Spain, um, whatever. But what people, it, so it can't be Crete, it's too close. But they like this because it is a bonkers place, man. I mean, there is so much preserved history here. And it is, it, it, it's a high society and it's an exotic society. I mean, it is crazy stuff. At one point, have you ever, have you ever um, heard the stories of the Minotaur and the maze and all that? Yes. Well, this is where those stories come from. The, the cap, the, yeah, the capital of Gnosis was, it's like, it's like right in here somewhere. This map doesn't show when the other one says, but there was a time that these guys were so dominant that the Mycenaean Greeks, so this is back in, uh, during the Bronze Age, would have to send, and all the Greeks, all these, all these places all around in here had to send sacrificial, sacrificial people to the island. And then they would literally, you know, chase them around it was like it was like it was a, it wasn't like a maze like what like how it's been kind of fictionalized right but it but if when you look at the buildings the substructure was very confusing and these people would go there and they wouldn't come back so the thought is you know something bad happened to them um but anyway so when we want lo lower the water so i'm gonna do 125 meters which is 400 feet okay and when we when we lower it around crete not much happens so we get to so see this lighter blue that's that's land that at this lower elevation sea level is above water that would be that it was below that's below water today. So there there are lots of places to look all along here for interesting things. But see, there's no, I mean, you know, there's no land bridge. You, you're still, what are you doing? Swimming or you're in some kind of canoe or something? I don't know, but you're getting here somehow, but 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 that's the water level. But when you go to Google Earth, whoa, sorry, I left it on something. When we go to Google Earth. Here's the thing I found, and I've not heard this found before. So we'll break it here on your on your first ever video podcast. Hell the, yeah! The, so remember, I showed you the water layer. The water levels don't do anything interesting here, right? It, nothing, you know, here is so far down. This island gets bigger, but he, nothing happens here. But when we look, and this whole basin, all of this, what we call the Mediterranean, this the Strait of Gibraltar, 
broke like I don't know the exact date, millions of years. Let, 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 let's say a million years ago. It's, that's not too far off. It's like a million and something years ago. And when it broke, all the seawater came flooding in. So up until a million years ago, all of this was like Death Valley today. It's below sea level, but there was no water, right? Okay. But, and so then I looked at Crete and I found this. What the hell is this? And the scale of it is massive. So this is 20 kilometers is that. So this is about 20 kilometers across. It's, it's huge. And it's, it's, it's like a thousand feet down. And I've looked at it. And it, I don't think it's artifacts. I mean, it, it rolls with how you look at this. Now, I don't think this is Atlantis. I just think this is kooky. Um, and you come at it this way. And if, you know, if the sea's down here, this kind of makes sense. There's like a way up to it. I think this looks like a pyramid to me underwater when you look at it. Interesting. Right? But this, what the hell is that? I mean, it's too, look, at, look how it's laid out. O over 20 there's some 20 up to the north side too yeah there's there's stuff up here i don't know what this is but it's not and i'm i'm sure it's the same you know if 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 look at this one what's that and they're all here and this like this fell away or something so i think so so my general theory which i have no which i have no support for it's not in my book this is i'm not pitching this to people but what i think is we have gone through many cycles where societies get started and then something bad happens and we get wiped out. I think it's been going on for, you know, there's been 23 species of humans on the planet so far. We are the 23rd iteration of people. And if you and I had had this conversation last year, shoot, if we'd had this conversation um, in April of this year, I would have told you there were 22 species of people because they just found a 23rd species um, in May of this year, of 2022. So oh. my, my point is we have no clue what happened. But so I think... If this was all dry land, right, and it's thousands of feet down, I, I think it's worth, I think someone should go look, you know, and I cannot right. find that anyone has, because when I look at this, I mean, to me, it looks exactly like the LIDAR that we're now getting from the Amazon. Yeah. Right. That's just what, and, and what LIDAR is, is when, you know, all that's, all those buildings are covered over. Now this, this would be silt and seafloor and that kind of stuff. But I, to, to my eye, that just looks like something. But so anyway, there's nothing to do with the lands, but that's one of the things I found in my, in my journey here. When we come back to the flood map, let me show you. I want to show you Malta because Malta is crazy. So let me put this back at zero just so I can tell the tale here. So he, this is Malta right here. That's all it is. It's this little tiny oh, island. When we look at it here, here, it's right here. So here's Malta. This is Sicily, Malta, Sicily. Um, Tunisia is here. Morocco's over here. Spain's up here. Okay. Now we come here. This is one of the only places I found. There, there's two other places where this happens on my quest for the Atlantean provinces. But with this one, you lower the sea level that 400 feet, 125 meters, and something very amazing happens to the Mediterranean. We get two, I call them peninsulas. They, they could be called islands. Whatever you want to call this. So what happens is, if you look, the entire Mediterranean shrinks, and the only way through it, if you could control this little strait right here, you know this, you're a Navy guy. You could control the flow yeah, in and out of Greece and everywhere. But you don't have to, you know, you don't have to have an army that controls all this. You just gotta control this. Right? Huh. So 
if you were doing that, we a couple things we'd have to find a couple things to for, for us to be able to claim that this is science, not speculation, right? So now Malta has sixty six um, stone temples and and megaliths, and it, it is the most dense and amazing place for stone megalithic stone construction, Neolithic construction in the world. It's incredible. I didn't I didn't pull up any images, but anyone just search on Malta and like and megalithic or Neolithic and and, it, and it's very well researched. But I, what I tell you, because, you know, I, I've got my military training and I was a counterintelligence agent. So I learned how to look at our troops and look at their troops and try and figure out based on what they're doing, what are they going to do kind of stuff. Right. So I said, you know, if it were me and Plato tells us that the Atlanteans attacked, they attacked and they conquered um, uh, Libya as far as Egypt, which is all this area right here. And they and they um, conquered uh, parts of uh, Europe, as far as what they call Terrania, which is what the, the, this is the Terranian Sea right here. And mm -hmm. basically, Italy, Italy is like Terrania. So basically, he's saying that the Atlanteans conquered all this and then they conquered, you know, it, it would, you know, just on the shore, you know, all the way down here, all the way to, um, to uh, Egypt. And then he tells us that at some point, so they came in, they conquered it. And at some point, the Greeks fought their way out and they fought the way out here to wherever the capital city is. And that was when it got destroyed. But what that means is, because I'm, a, you know, we're historians, we're engineers, we're historians, we're, we're logical generalists. That means we know two things happened here. This is what it looked like. We know the Atlanteans fought their way in, and we know at some point the Greeks fought their way out. If if this story is true, so what I was, what I, I looked at something. Like, okay, if, if I'm the second lieutenant who's in charge of the the Sicilian Malta you know, Strait, what would I do? And this is during the Neolithic, so I've got crude boats at best rafts probably canoes that kind of stuff and i've got to control this waterway well what i would do is i would set up a tower here looking this way and then i would set up a tower here looking out this way and i would have some type of fire communication system right because with fire and line of sight you can send all kinds of military commands mm -hmm. so that's what i would do so if that if that's so so if if this were that what that is and if i'm right then we should find on this submerged land we should find megalithic constructions, right? Sure. Else, right? I, mean, if, yeah, I mean, they could be there and we haven't found them. But if we found any here, the story I just told you, they, they support that story. And, and the only logical reason, because we're talking about land that was only above water uh, during and before the last ice age. At, at, at 9600 BC, this, is under, this goes underwater. So if someone built something here, they had to build it when it was above water. Well, there's this thing called the Sicilian Channel Monolith. And let's see if I can find I, I didn't prep as much as I could. Let's see. I'm just, I'm seeing if I can find a map real quick. Yeah, here. Okay, here. Perfect. So this is that landmass that I was just showing you on our flood. See, here it is on our flood map, mm -hmm. right? Here is an act. This is the academics drawing of it. Same landmass. And here's where it is right there. And these are other anomalies they found, by the way, here. And look, even this one, it's on an island that's not there now. This one, this one, look at that. Look what, look what they're finding them right here, right here. You know, and these are islands that were only above um, uh, water during and before the last ice age. You can see it here, minus 130 meters. I'm, I'm at ours is 125, so it's the same, same basic thing. And they concluded the same thing I just told you. This, the academic paper, in fact, this is actually, um, this is a different one, but I'll see if I can find it in here. Oh, this is a picture of it. So this, this is a picture of some of it. It, it fell over. This, so this is a raised mound. There's like something leading up to it. And then these were standing 
and they've fallen over. They're 12 meters long, I think. They're 40 foot long, and it's 60 meters down. See, and, and even this is in the academic view is the same the same date. I say 9600. They say you know this land was up as recently as 9000, but it's it went under during the last ice age. But the point is, this is the the academic analysis puts the infrastructure here that fits that that would only have been built during the Atlantis time, during 9600. And they're doing all this with sonar now, aren't they? Mapping yeah, out the yeah. seafloor. Yeah, sonar, and then I think they just died and find. It. I, I don't know. I don't know how they found it. Um, but it's incredible because th what this means is that there were people here. Yeah, in ninety six hundred BCE, or, or and, and and before, and they were doing something massive. Well, the only people, the only the only history we have that says there were people here is the Atlantean story that we get from Plato. There isn't another story. We, don't, we have no other history that, that could explain what this is. There is no history that explains what this is other than the Atlantis story. So that's interesting, right? That's very that's compelling. Very compelling. Yeah. So you can kind of see them here, here. Now, there's another one they found. And this one, I'm not going to be able to look this up. It's like right here. This is like the capital city-ish. And it's like, sits like right here. It's two miles or two kilometers north. It's like right here. Um, and it's another temple they found. And it sits kind of like right here. So it's still, well, it's it's still on the, you know, it, it only would have been above ground. Or I think this one's 60 meters down. So it could have been, it could have been like two, another 2,000 years later or something. So it, it might have been 7,000 BCE. It could have been 9,600, 9, but whatever it is, it's right here. And and my my gut is that there's stuff everywhere. The other thing that Malta has Malta ruts. It's got these. It's the only place. Well, there's there. These are found in lots of places in the world, but Malta it has the highest density of these. Massive, massive cart ruts. Yeah, a hundred and fifty places, and they are worn into the limestone bedrock. As you can see, sometimes down as far as a foot or two. That's insane. Don't know what that means, but you know what's really interesting? What's really interesting is a lot of them run right into the water, and they go down. 400 feet and some of them mm. run off of cliffs but we have and but th there's massive physical evidence of something and i don't know what made them people will argue it's not carts because some of them get kind of wonky looking some of them look like cart tracks some of them could be something else i don't care what made them just like i don't care what caused the the catastrophe that happened 9600 bce what i care about is we is they go underwater and no one was driving carts 400 feet underwater uh-uh to leave ruts the only time that would happen when the land was above water and the only time it was above water was during the atlantis story the same time 9600 bce so malta like i say malta is crazy malta to me locks in the time and it provides some anecdotal evidence supporting the tale because you know we're finding things in here and this is south see, here's the Tyrrhenian sea right here but it's kind of like this so this is just you know this would have been the entrance to it so we know the Atlanteans got to here because he, he tells us that they did. And this is one of the only names that's still the same as it is today, by the Ooh. way. Uh, but see, this is even weird. Look, you can see rivers. That's just weird, isn't it? Yeah. That's 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 probably a thousand feet down. And if you really it. took that down that far, and if you look at that land bridge that we were talking about, 
mm-hmm. would have been way below water. Oh yeah. The, yeah. Right there yeah. right by Rabat. I don't see it. Over there it, when it goes out into the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Oh this side? Yeah. Yeah. Well and even I don't know. I, I haven't done the research. I don't know if a modern channel was cut here or not. I'm sure it was. Because you look at this, you know, clearly work's been done. But I mean, this is a major C channel. But it's also I don't think it would be important to work this um today. But I, I don't know. I haven't looked it up. I don't I haven't done any research on that. But let me show you, let me let me show you. I don't wanna we, we can't go, we can't go for four hours. So here is where I think so I, I think it's in Mauritania. Okay. Now a lot of people like they like the Azores, and I think the Azores were one of those provinces. As a matter of fact, one of the twins, the the eldest of the fifth set of twins, his name was Azor. Well, and now we have the Azor Islands. No one knows where that came name came from. It's a Spanish Portuguese name, um, but they don't know the origin of it. Now, what they like, people think that maybe this whole thing came up, and that was the continent that sunk, and it was Atlantis. It's not, but it was. But but the Azores were absolutely part of the Atlantean Kingdom. And then here are the Canary Islands. And then what, what Plato tells us, he says that the way to Atlantis was also the way to the op- opposite continent. So I was like, well, well shit, how can we figure that out? Because everyone thinks, you know, with it, today we're so stupid. We and none of us do anything today. So we say, oh, well, that must mean you go straight out. Do, 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 you hit the Azores, you know, and you wind up here in New York or something. You know, that's just, that's not how sea, n- n- that's not how the, the sea lanes work. The way, so what I did is I said, you know what? How can I test this? So I looked at all the um, 15th, 16th, and 17th century um, or hundreds uh, uh, trade routes that started to emerge. And then I also looked at Columbus because people forget Columbus actually came to the New World. Four, he, he did four trips, not just one trip, four trips. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, let me see how he went. Because the first time he had no idea how to get here. And by the fourth time, he's going to be pretty good at getting you know over here. Um so the Atlantic, the Egyptian priests. Oh, the other thing I didn't show you. So the history of Atlantis. I know I'm jumping around. I, I set that whole thing up. Now I'm jumping over here. <laughs> the history of Atlantis was stored at the Temple of Neith at Sais, which is right in here somewhere. So it's on the, it's on the Western Nile Delta. If I type in, I, I can type in Sais, and I point this out. Where is it? Here it is. Okay, because this is it right here. This is it. This is the temple. Now it's the t- it's in ruins, but we know we know it's there, and we know we have a tremendous history on it. This is the temple of Neith. This is where Solon, the guy in Plato's story, visited because Neith or Sais was this was the capital of Egypt during Plato's time. And on these walls right here is where the story of Atlantis was chiseled in stone in three thousand BC, huh. before the first Egyptian. Dynasty. The first dynastic dynasty is 2900 BCE. This temple, the story of Atlantis, shows up at 3000 BCE. And Neith, who is a, the creator goddess, she's the mother goddess of the entire Egyptian pantheon. She, the Neith cult starts to show up kind of in this area around 6000 BCE. So the Neith creator goddess. And what's interesting, it's a female goddess. And what's interesting is on Malta, they have no idea who it is, but there are tons of idols, and 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 there was a religion based around a female creator goddess. Inter- just interesting. Don't know. Just just interesting. But so I showed you that. But anyway, sorry. Um, so what Columbus did when um, so he left about here, and the first time he went to the Canaries, and then he went straight across like everyone thinks you're supposed to. And if you remember, his trip took ten weeks, and it was a disaster. 
Like they didn't have yeah. wind. His crew went to mutiny. They almost ran out of food. So he kind of comes, he goes this way. He flounders all in here and he winds up in the Bahamas right here. So that, that was his first trip, which was awful. And then he comes back, stops in the Azores and, and gets back. His second trip, he goes farther south and he winds up here, south of uh, Puerto Rico. His third trip, he comes all the way down here to these guys, the Cape Verde Islands, and then he goes across. Because the way the ocean currents run, it's like a, it's like a toilet bowl. This yeah. is this is the easiest way to go this way. So you don't go here because there's, there's no there's no current. So if you don't have wind, nothing's not much moving. It's all moving here at the edges. So you come down here, you go down the coast, you cross, which is also the shortest point, and then that's how you do it. That's how he did it, and that's how the trade routes um, still run today. But so anyway, Plato tells us that the way to Atlantis, you go by a bunch of islands, and then it's the way to the opposite continent, which it is, if you can see. You come by here. Here's the opposite continent, which also means that these priests right here in 3000 BCE knew about the opposite continent. That's freaking groundbreaking. Why isn't that in our history books? It's written yeah. down. I'm, I'm not even interpreting it. It's just, you just go read it. Anyway, long story. So you, you zoom into this thing and you start to see something. This is the Sahara Desert, but it looks like that description of the Atlantean capital that we get. It's got a center. And then it's got alternating rings of land. Now we know in 9600 BCE, this was what they called the Green Sahara. So this was like Georgia. Good solid rain, really good agriculture fields and all of that. This was a lake. This oh. is about 10 miles right here. Um, and then you can see it kind of. The river would have flowed to here. But you know, this is this is inland, and there's nothing any of us have ever heard. Why why would Atlantis be in the middle of the Sahara Desert? That's like the opposite of everything we hear. It's supposed to be in the Atlantic sunken somewhere, right? Well, one of the lines that Plato has that gets ignored, you know, I, and I, people that look at this, I don't know why they feel like they can ignore it, but here's what it says. It says the country immediately about and surrounding the city was a level plain, itself surrounded by mountains, which descended towards the sea. It was smooth and even of an oblong shape, extending in the one direction three thousand stadia. Okay. Well. The, the city, so it's extending in the one direction, 3,000 stadia, gently sloping towards the sea. Well, so what's the stadia? That might be the first question, right? Yeah. Stadia is 606.9 feet. That's what that's the Alexandrian measure. It's the unit they used in Greece during Plato's time. I rounded to 607 feet because I'm lazy. Just, you know, we're not dealing with that much precision. So, so in... So if it's if one of those is 607, if we want 3,000 of them, we multiply that by 3,000, and we get this crazy number. It's a big number, but it's a bunch of feet. Then we divide it by a mile. You see how many miles that is? Okay, 344, basically 345 miles. So he says the country immediately bounced around the city was a low plain itself, surrounded by mountains, which descended towards the, towards the sea, smooth and even in long shape, extending in one direction, 345 miles. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, I call this my Atlantis test. So how far is this thing from the sea? I don't want feet. Miles. Three hundred and forty five miles. <laughs> you know, you, you get you get the idea. I mean, yeah. but how, how's that oops, how's how's that possible? How can that be 345 miles? You know, you can you can play with it a little bit, but you get the idea. Yeah, 
346. Yeah, it's three. It's how far. It's three thousand states. It's how far he says it is. So I was, I, that's the first thing I measured because I had never. I, I I read the dialogue myself. I'd never heard that line. So I'm like, well, let me look. I'm like, holy cow! That and that was what got me. That and this view right here, where you can clearly see that if a tsunami came in, you can clearly see the runoff, even if it was thousands mm -hmm. of years ago. Um, you can kind of see it better from this direction. You know, you can see the water coming out and pulling, see, pulling the sand down and everything. But then I have a picture, Graham Hancock's um, second book, I think it's the second book, Fingerprints of the Gods. His first, first book was The Sign and the Seal, which is brilliant. He finds the um, Lost Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Piri Reese Map. Okay. He opens his most famous book, Fingerprints of the Gods, which is a thing called the Piri Reese Map. So the Piri Reese map, is this a good copy of it? I need one that's going, here, this is going the right way. Okay. The Piri Reese map is a well-known map, and it is um, was commissioned by a, uh, open image and new tab. Here we go. Now, it's going to be grainy, but we'll, we'll get the, oh, that's terrible. Hold on. I apologize. <laughs> it's on. all right. Hold we got on. time. Okay. Uh, here, I'll use this one because it looks like it's easy to see, but it's tilted to the side. I'll, I'll try and explain it as we go through it here. Oh, here, this guy's selling them, so that's good. There we go. Okay. $25, you can go get the map, people. You can get the map. Here we go. Oh, perfect. Okay. So now this is going to be confusing. Can I turn this? See. Um, okay. So this is the correct – so in this orientation – so here's Africa. See the elephant? I don't know if you can see that or not. Yeah, I can on this see that. One? Okay. So the, with this one, we're looking at the elephant's up here because it's turned. See, north is over here. Yeah. So this is west. But we can we can see this one a lot better. So when you look at this map, I'll do this one. I'll go to the one we can all see and understand. The It was commissioned from a bunch of older maps. So this this, this Piri Reese guy was a um, an Ottoman navigator. And he commissioned the map so that when they went sailing around, you know, he wanted all the trusted ancient maps they had access to because there's tons of them. And then all these are his notes. And so then he sailed around and he took notes on how good the map was. Um, all the noise around the map is because, and this was this was commissioned in like, it was like 22 years after Columbus. Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. So this is like 1514 or something like that. Okay. And, and it seems like, like here's Cuba, although it also kind of looks like Japan. This is Florida. Seems like there's more detail, especially when you get into South America, than could have been known um, at the time. It seems like this shows the Antarctic shelf at when the water level is 400 feet down, like we've been looking at. Because when you look at it, see, it does this weird thing right here. And this would have been above yep. water during um, the last ice age. It seems to show that, where today you just sail right over it. See right here, kind of seems to, but it's arguable. It's arguable, but we don't know. We don't know. So some people say it shows it. It looks like it shows it to me. Other people say they got lazy and they were stupid and they ran out of space. So they just bent South America around this way. That didn't sound <laughs> right. But, but we don't care about any of that. That's, here's Africa. Okay. And so I'm going to go back to this map so we can see it better. Here's, here's Africa. So, God, it's really hard to tell in this orientation. Even I get confused. Here's the Strait of Gibraltar. Here's the coast. And then I just told you where there would be a river. Right, right here. See, here, here are these two. Here's the car. Here's, here are the two little peninsulas. Here's where the river is. Look at the Piri's Reese map. 
Where'd it go? There's a river. And look what it does. It's so hard to see, but it leads to a kooky little city. That's a city. Here, here we go. Kooky little city with a castle surrounded by a ring of water. Hmm. This is the Sahara Desert. In 1500, this is an Ottoman navigator who his life is going to depend on this and using this map isn't going to accept a map on the coast of Africa, which is very well known, that shows a river where there is no river leading into the Sahara Desert and showing cities and, and cities on, on surrounded by rings of water with, with just sand. That's all it is, sand today. But here's the interesting thing. Plato tells us that the, water, the way to Atlantis was blocked after the cataclysm by a shawl of mud. Well, look, look at this. This is a, a waterway, and they put a big lump of something blocking it. So I find that interesting. When we look at the actual topology, here's that feature. Get rid of it. Hold on. Here's this feature. Here's this feature right here. And this is where I think people always ask me, where do we dig? I think we dig right here. Because th these are just hills of mud. It's just dirt. It's just compact mud. There's nothing to them and they don't even make any geological sense but if a tsunami came in came up wiped all this out this is we we know there was at least 100 foot of topsoil in atlantis because plato tells us they had to dig a canal that was 100 feet down and he also tells us he says here's what he says he says um after the cataclysm he says the earth has fallen away all around and sunk out of sight the consequence is that in comparison of what was then there are remaining only the bones of the wasted body as they may be called as in the case of the, uh, the small islands, all the richer and softer parts of the soil having fallen away and the mere skeleton of the land being left. Well, if this isn't a skeleton, you know what I mean? I don't know what it is. So it, it, it lines up good. Other things line up too. He tells us they had to dig a 50 stadia canal um, from the outer ring to the inner ring. This was where the palace was. And he says it ended in a harbor. And he says they cut a channel of the outer ring three stadia which is 1,800 feet. So I found this hole right here. And go look at it. And when we measure it, it's about, God damn, hold on, feet. It's about 1,800 feet. That's interesting. Okay. He said that it was 50 stadia, which is 5.75 miles. With They cut the canal. So you come in here, you go back to miles. 5.75 miles. He said it ended in an inner harbor. Yeah. Does this not look like a harbor? Hmm. Right? I don't know. I mean, it just, but that's that's fine. That, that, that's well and good. And it's very compelling. But the other thing he tells us, he says that it sat on a plane that had 60,000 10 stadia by 10 stadia farms. So, massive agriculture. And he says they had dug a ditch around the entire plain that was 10,000 stadia total in length. And he says the plain was roughly 2,000 by 3,000 by 2,000 by 3,000, which you can map that out, right? I mean, so in other words, this is the only place on the planet that has room for that. But what's interesting, and this is my contribution to the Atlantis search, is if you look where do, they, where do they go? I always have a hard time. Here we go. Okay. You start to look up here. There's two places. You start to look here along these ridges, and you zoom in, and you start to get some really interesting uh, topology and geography, and it starts to become almost grid-like and, 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 and very interestingly formed. And then I looked up here. I'm like, what, what are these? 
what is what is this? You know, because it's, these striations aren't everywhere. You know, you just go right here, nothing, right? But here, and I looked at it, I'm like, wait a second. He talks about all the irrigation, because if you're going to be good at agriculture, you got to move water. And to move mm -hmm. water, basically, you dig ditches. That's basically it. And I look, and I'm like, well, are these wind cut? And first off, no, the wind doesn't blow this way. It blows this way. But they also, they go under the sand. All these things go under the sand. Like, what the hell is it? And then I look more, and I'm like, wait a second. This is exactly what a farm looks like, a giant farm with massive agriculture. And if it's raining, right, what they're doing is they're controlling the flow of water. So then I had a geologist look at it, and I sent him basically this picture, like, right here. And I said, what do you think? And I didn't tell him anything about Atlantis or anything. And they're like, you know, when you get down to it, these near grid-like, or I think I, I sent this over here, too. In the grid-like pattern, the water was flowing in a grid-like pattern. And I'm like, what are these rocks? Because my first thought was, did they just, is this like, like they went and cut thousands and thousands of rocks? And then what the geologist told me, she says, no, what, what these are, all this, the black, all this black right here, these are um, evaporites, they call them. And they, they cover everywhere. So we, we got lucky. So basically what happens is when the sea came in, it, it you know, sat here and a lot of it evaporated and a lot of it ran back. But all the salt stays, right? Because all salt is sodium chloride, and it all comes from the sea. Right. So this, this is these, so what these are. These are salt evaporites. And what happens is, so the salt settles, and then because it's exposed, it the, the sun cooks it for hundreds of years. Huh. So it gets it gets hard as a rock. But what it's done is it's preserved. Look at look at how much detail is there. It has preserved all these earthworks to some degree. So we can now go look at them, because it's the wind and erosion of ten thousand years didn't change them because they're covered in this foot thick covering of um, cooked evaporated salt. Hmm. So that's interesting, but you get, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy things you find when you look in here, Let's see if I can find. Oh, but so, so I was, so I did a lot of research. I'm like, what pattern, what, what pat? Cause it's a pattern. What pattern is this? I'm like, Oh shit. You know what this is? This is proto terrace farming. This is what the earth looks like when you, when you terrace farm it. So like if I, if you go search for terrace farms and these are rice fields in um, uh, Thailand and stuff, you, you get this straighted look and you, and you get this, the weird, whatever that, whatever that look is, whatever this look is, it's because it's a terrace, it's a, it's a terrace farm. This was probably, this is probably the world's first terrace farm. It's, it's, it, it, Plato tells us they were good at agriculture and he, and he gives a scale to it that is, that is mind blowing. And we see all through here, we see striations. We see all the work done on the land to, to control the flow of water, which is, and it looks exactly like a terrace farm. And now if this were the only place, you'd be like, well, okay, maybe that's an anomaly though. Because we don't see it everywhere. It's not just the wind. Um, hold on. Don't go north, young man. There we go. Okay. So I looked, look, 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 look more. And sure enough, I found another place where they have it down here. And then when you look at it 2D, you try to figure out what it is. But when you go 3D, you realize this is like an entry channel. This would have all been this would have been a river. And look what they've done. The tops, they've flattened the tops of the mountains. And they have canals. Why do you do this? Why would you do this on the tops of mountains? Because you're preserving the topsoil. If it mm -hmm. just rained, the topsoil runs off. This way you control it and you maximize the use of water. Because it's not just going everywhere, right? But you're flowing it where, where you want it. 
God, the amount of work that would have had to go into that is astounding. And that's what, and, and Plato tells us that. I don't have the quote here, but he says something along the lines of, these are the most beautiful mountains you will ever see, you know, anywhere in the world. And when I look at terrace farming, it's like, yeah, I mean, these, they just look, they look, look incredible. And he says, you will not believe that people could have done this. He says, they started with a good spot, but they have worked it and you would just not believe. And then when you, when you look at it, and I mean, trying to imagine sailing up this, you know, and, and you're a caveman, don't forget. I mean, you know, this is 9600 BCE and you, you stumble into this and it's incredible. And what I tell people and they say, well, that's stupid. You know, they, they would have done that. Well, wait a second, wait a second, hold on. Okay, what do we know? So here's Rishat. We know this whole area here, all this brown was green, just like Georgia. Mm -hmm. This right here, Lake, was the biggest freshwater lake on the planet, Lake Chad. Big freshwater lake up here. Ton, nothing but rivers and rainfalls and just, you know, a beautiful place. We found more Stone Age tools than you could imagine in this area. Okay? If this is a lake... Before we get into that... Let's take another quick break okay. and uh, we'll be right back. This episode of the Blue Collar Enlightenment Show is brought to you by Andrea Mason, the global voice. Andrea's mission is to help groups and individuals achieve rapid growth and personal freedom. Andrea helps her clientele go from victim to victorious. Escape the perpetual storm by creating your path to clear skies and personal growth. Plan a life according to you. Andrea invites you to take the first step, press play, and visit andreamasons.com. Use the promo code the BCE Show for your free consultation and change your life today. And we are back. Great. Yeah, so, um, Joan, I just, I was able to get this map the right size. I know, I know we already covered it, but it's just when it's orientated right, our brains do a much easier job of seeing it. Um, so here's the whole map. Here's the... Uh, Antarctic piece we were just we were talking about, but then you can come up here and it just makes visually more sense. So here's the river, here's the shawl of mud that's blocking it. I showed you where that was already. And then here's the Kuki City. Right? Surrounded by a ring of water. Oh, Isn't that yeah. weird. Look at all the green up there in in the part right there. Yeah. And and uh the, some of the landmarks that uh, Plato gives us, he says the, the mountains were green and they're some of the most beautiful mountains in the world. He tells us there are lots of elephants, you know, lots of elephants, and then all the other stuff. Uh, the other thing, and this is just anecdotal, but what I think is interesting is, see, like, um, that, I don't know what that is. Isn't that weird, though? It's like just sitting there. It's not yeah. islands. So I was like, what is that? I mentioned I was in Panama for so long. When you look at the mouth of the Panama Canal, you wind up with the same, you wind up with all these boats. Yeah. They're all waiting. They're all waiting to turn to go up the, the canal. It's like, huh? I mean, is that like a, a cultural memory? Like this is the staging area, and you're waiting to turn to go up. You know, go up the river. I don't know. No one knows. It's, it's unknowable. It's just weird, and it's it's not that, that's not land. That's something else. But it's unreadable. You know, you can't read what it says. Yeah. Yeah. So what were we talking about? What do we? It looks like over? chicken scratch to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's Arabic or something. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's kind of, that's kind of the pitch, you know? And so, and, and like I said, there's, there's the, um, we get to that date 9,600 because Plato who's writing here tells us this guy named Solon goes here, that temple I showed you in 600 BCE. 
And who this guy Solon is, these are all real historical figures. These aren't just names. Solon was the first Greek to introduce the idea of democracy. So arguably, Solon is the father of democracy as we know it. So he's an important guy. In 600 BCE, what he was doing was uh, going around the known world for the Greeks, which was pretty much you know, this right here. And talking to people. He, so he went to go to Egypt. That's a well-known, powerful, you know, society. And he's, he's, he's learning. He's trying to figure out this democracy thing. And when he's here in Saïs, I think it was like right here-ish, um, they tell him that when they get to the Atlantis story, they tell him it's their ancient history. And they tell him it happened 9,000 years ago. So you add 9,000 plus 600, you get 9,600 BCE, which is a magical date. It is magical. It is the end of the last ice age, almost to the to the day, to almost to the hour. Um, it's also, and the ice age ended with this thing called the Younger Dryas, which you hear people talk about a lot. Um, and it turns out, like, well, what does that mean? They're just words. So, well, it turns out there were three Dryases. Dryases. There's the Younger Dryas, the Older Dryas, and the Oldest Dryas. And so I had to ask a question, well, what the hell, what's a Dryas? I, you know, turns out a Dryas is a flowering plant that does really well in cold weather at high elevations. So they call these Dryas events because um, uh, when they dig into the strata and they know how far, when they know they're nine at 9,600 BCE, they find tons of these flowers and then they, then they don't find them anymore. So they know there was a temperature change, you know, and they, that's how they can figure the temperature out. Um, and the temperature supposedly increased 30 or 40 degrees Fahrenheit. No one knows how quickly, but under a year, more likely six months. And it could have been overnight. There's, all kinds of anecdotal evidence of flash frozen woolly mammoths and all kinds of stuff where like maybe, you know, something happened and all the climate changed, you know, real quick, but none of that matters that with the dates important because it's the day that the ice age ended and the sea levels started to rise. And as you can see in our analysis, sea levels, you know, feed the entire analysis, but it's not like there's a hundred of these events and he just happened to land on one of them. This is it. This is the only time it ever happened. And he got the date exactly right. You know, so, you know, is it really a coincidence? And then he, he's, you know, I mentioned he's explaining, like we talked about Malta and then we looked at the lower sea levels and he says there was, there was fighting here, basically. You can interpret that from the story. And then we, and, and we find Neolithic construction that's at least consistent with that. Mm -hmm. He tells us that the capital city was, um, had a center island and then alternating, uh, zones of water and rings of land he tells us it was five and three quarter miles from the outside to the inside he tells us it's 345 miles from the sea he tells us there were mountains to the north and it was open to the south i'm trying to get orientated right there we go okay all right so the north is up mountains open got that he tells us that it was king atlas so these are the Atlas Mountains, just right to the north of it, all through here. These are all called the Atlas Mountains. And then we have other corroborating evidence. So uh, writing in 480 BCE-ish, there's this guy named Herodotus. He was a Greek historian. He's known as the father of history. He's writing about 100 years before Plato wrote-ish. And what he, he's the first person who tries to really record what happened, like, objectively. He's not writing state propaganda. He's trying to just, you know write down what's going on because a lot's going on so he writes about the the persian wars um 
and all kinds of stuff in, the, in this thing called the histories. The history starts off about the first third is like a travelogue where he's just trying to set the stage saying, okay, here's where Greece is. Here's where Athens is. You go down here and here's where Sparta is. You go over here and here's Turkey and here's Persia and here's Egypt. And then, and then he says, when you get to Egypt and everything, everything is like, it's in, it's in travel time and, and stadia. So he'll say, you know, you go, uh, you know, 200 stadia or you travel for 10 days, that, that kind of stuff. So he says, you get to Egypt, he explains to Egypt, and he says, you head west, which is here, into Libya, and you get in here somewhere. And what he says in the histories is you run into these people who call themselves the Atlanteans. And they are really crazy, kooky people. They, and they extend all the way from, like, middle part of Libya all, all up to the Atlas Mountains. And the Atlanteans, um, they don't have a writing system. They refuse a writing system. And they, they have names, but they won't let you write down their names or their, their king names or any of that stuff. So no writing. Uh, they're vegetarians, which is bizarre at this time period. So they, they don't eat meat. Um, they live on these weird huts they build on top of salt piles. They spend their days cursing the sun and they don't drink. Okay. Well, that's so, so they're weird. So there's some weird cultural memory he's run into. But if you look at this, and if this is where you live and this all gets covered in water, a tsunami comes up here and wipes it out, the people that are going to survive or, you know, in the mountains or up here, or whatever, where do you end up? This, and this all becomes blistering desert. You end up up here. Yeah. So, I, I mean, geographically, it's, it's, I mean, he's talking about, and these people lived, you know, in 500 BC, not 9,000 BC. So it's, it's, it's contemporary to when he's writing, but, but geographically, culturally and linguistically it makes total sense if you lived here and this gets wiped out everything changes the remnants of your society ends up up here because this is where this is where trade and people are you know there's nothing here in the middle so yeah you know, in interesting that's interesting the other thing that um is often a criticism is people say that plato made it up or that it was an oral tradition and it got passed down you know through, through, you know, a hundred generations or 50 generations. So the story, it can't be consistent, right? But we've, we've, we've touched on it, but just to close the loop, that's not at all the case. It was written on the walls. This guy Solon went there. The priest helped him. He deciphered it. He translated it into Greek. He brought it back. The, the, the two dialogues we're talking about, one's called Critias, one's called Timaeus. It's actually Timaeus. I can't, I can't say that. I can't, the Critias has like a hard eye and the Timaeus. So I just say Critias and, and Timaeus. Um, but the Critias, uh, who is talking in the Critias dialogue uh, tells, he says that he has these writings from Solon and he studied them. So we're not, this isn't an oral tradition. Um, we're talking about someone went to the temple, wrote down what it said, and then this guy is reading back what it said, which is interesting. But then when Plato died, he, he, what he was really famous for in his time period was he created the first university. He called it the Academy. And when he died, um, this guy named, well, there are two people up for the job or taken over for him. One was a guy named Aristotle, who we've all heard of. And there was another guy named Crantor. And I don't know what, how it got decided, but Crantor got the job to run the academy instead of Aristotle. So Aristotle kind of pouts off and he goes north up here to, to Macedonia. And then he, he uh, tutors Alexander the Great and has a brilliant career. But Crantor, who was a supporter of Plato's, which is probably why he got the job. Aristotle wasn't. Aristotle dings Plato all the time. Crantor then went back to this temple in 350 BCE and verified the writings. He took the, he verified the translation was correct. He verified, you know, what what the the notes that they had in the Critias dialogue and the Timaeus dialogue 
were accurately transcribed from the walls. If it said 50 stadia, that's what was written down, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we have independent verification after Plato when this temple was still there. So it all comes to get, my point is it all comes together. And then when you look at things like I showed you on Malta and you start to dig into the Neolithic evidence and you start to do this, um, the sea level analysis and you look for anomalies and you look for megalithic constructions that are sitting on land that was only up during the last ice age or before, um, to, to me, I mean, the Malta anomaly, there it is. We can see it. It, you know, in, in 9,600 years ago, someone built a giant temple on a piece of land that went underwater. Well, that establishes the date. There's, you know what I mean? There's no gap. You know what I mean? This mm -hmm. is what people think there's this huge gap between the academic view of Atlantis and like me or you or kooky people or all these crazy researchers. Now, some people say, ridiculous things about Atlantis. I mean, Atlantis was not ended in a nuclear war. It, it, it isn't the moon, you know, all that kind of stuff. But when you strip all that away and you just look at all the places and whether we currently think people were there or not and what we think they were, we, they were doing or not, and we just accept that Atlantis was a Neolithic society, just like Quebec Lake Tepe, just like these other ones at that same level of technology, except they found a really good place to live. So why wouldn't they start doing agriculture? And then we look where we think their capital was and we find signs of massive, massive agriculture at a date and location that, that only could have happened during the last ice age. You know, again, it, it just, it, it all lines up is, is kind of it. And it's, it's a coherent story and there is no, there's no leaps of faith. There's no magic and there's no contradiction to the current micro academic views. The, the facts aren't in dispute. It's, it's only how we interpret those facts, which that's just people. And that's just, you know, the, there's no right or wrong way to interpret a fact. It is what it is. Right. Yeah. So. And it's very compelling stuff because, uh, who is it? Uh, we're talking about Graham Hancock and he was on Joe Rogan's podcast as well as Randall. Randall Carlson. Yep. Yeah. Randall Carlson. And he's been doing research around, I mean, around the globe, about these catastrophic floods that happened in that same time frame and yeah, how look, that connects in as well. Yeah, Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock don't agree on everything, but they agree to that 9600 date and they agree to, I think, the level of the society. And I agree with them on all of that stuff. Where, where I diverge from them, Randall Carlson is obsessed with the Azores being where the capital city of Atlantis was and none of these other places. Um, and... I just, you, you can't get there. There's not enough land here. There's there's other pieces of data we haven't gone over. This this wasn't the capital. It just wasn't. It, it's impossible. So I wish he wouldn't say that because the other work he's done is absolutely brilliant. He He's found, like I've said, this this was, I, I believe this was one of the provinces. And when you look at the way trade works, you kind of go out this way. When you come back, you'd come back in, and you come back through the Azores. So mm -hmm. it would have been, it would have been trade rich. So all the stuff he's finding fits perfectly, I believe, to the Azores being a, a province and actually fits with the geography and, and how everything works, you know. Um, Graham, uh, Graham Hancock, I, I, I don't know him. I have no, I have no, uh, what do they call it? I have no, no authority to call him by his first name. Um, but he has taken the name or the, 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 yeah, the word Atlantis and he has used it as a brand for all of the ancient societies that were going on in the ice age. And I understand why he's done it. It's easier to communicate that. And it's a word that everyone knows. The problem is um, we both agree that there was more going on in 9,600 BCE, but Atlantis wasn't global. It, his, I, I've only seen the first episode of his show, which I like by the way, but he's over here 
in the Philippines somewhere talking about, you know, crazy, crazy amazing things. But th there's no, this isn't Atlantis. There's no Atlantis over here. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't get, you, you're not going to attack Greece from friggin' Hong Kong, you know, no. or, you know, so it's just, it's, so there's a lot of name confusion going on right now with, with the name Atlantis. You mix that in with the fact, like we talked about to start this, that no one knows what it means when they say it, that uh, they talk about the capital, they're talking about the continent, they're talking about the kingdom. Um, so it's all kind of mixed up and, and the word just has all kinds of problems. Uh, but that's neither here nor there because what, what, what Plato tells us Atlantis was, I've just spent whatever we've done, two hours here going over it. And I, it's compelling. It, it, it's, it's more than compelling. It is, it's, it's an airtight argument. Whether mm -hmm. it's right or not, I don't know. But the argument holds water and doesn't, doesn't contradict in any meaningful way any piece of knowledge we have about our past. Right. Yeah. And uh, the further we go, the less we're going to, we'll, the less we know anyway. Yeah. Well, well, we yeah, only we, know up to a certain point. We're not getting closer to this stuff. We're getting farther away from it. And the, yeah. and the earth is changing. Yeah. So, yeah. So is there a growing number of uh, scientists and historians and researchers that are catching on to this and actually wanting to put the time and effort and the research and the funds into uh, going further with no. this research? No, no, they're just, they just don't care. It doesn't work that way. We, we, we sit here and we talk about it and we try and project um, our own logical constructs into the academic world, but there isn't, it's not like the academic world is some org chart of people all sitting in a room or on a campus. Um, I mean, there's, there's universities all over the world. I think there's 7,000 universities just in the U S and they don't coordinate with each other. Matter of fact, we, we, we hold universities up and I do think they play an important role, but we hold them up as these knowledge repositories, right? But you want to go get an academic paper. They're all behind massive paywalls. Right. You have to pay hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars to see these papers. And by the way, I mean, I was president of a university. It, it's the, you know, it's, it's not, the university is not called Yale or Yale university. If go look it up, it's Yale university comma Inc. These are just companies. They're, they're mm -hmm. just companies and, and their business, their business was research and teaching um, in the U S anyway, over the past 10 years, their business has become billing financial aid. And that is, I swear to God, that that's the case. I was there. I was there. To be, I was a university president when they put that law into effect. I knew what it was going to do, and it's done it. So all they do now, they're just machines, and they just move people through, and they, they charge everything that the government will pay. And then they basically inflated all of their tuitions back to the, the pre-tuition numbers so people are paying what they've always paid, and then they just take the government money too. And it is, it's billions it's, it's probably trillions of dollars yeah i read somewhere that you know these these ivy league schools have a surplus of like billions of dollars they don't pay taxes you know this is we, we all say pay, pay your fair share and we and and we rage against it sometimes they're all non-profits so they're, mm -hmm. they're accumulating you know, we talk about well it's not fair that Elon musk has so much money and he should give some back or something these universities are sitting on billions of dollars in cash not physical cash, but and, and 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 they don't pay taxes. They just they just collect and hoard, collect and hoard, collect and hoard. Um, university professors, a tenured university professor, fifteen years ago made between eighty and a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Today, a tenured university professor makes between two hundred and fifty and three hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Go look That's it up. Good money. 
they work six hours a week. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> they don't, I get it. Good deal, right? Yeah, good work if you can find it. Um, yeah. The problem is, and then what they all do, especially when you talk about anthropology and history and all these things, is they specialize. So it's not like there's an academic somewhere sitting who's the Atlantis academic who we have to go to and register our findings with. And that person is cataloging everything. And at some point they go, oh, okay, we found 100 things on this item. So it's tipped and now it's mainstream. That, that, that doesn't happen. They're all compartmentalized. They're all localized and they're all specialized. So I actually went looking and um, I was trying to find a, a, a physical anthropologist who was an expert in... Uh, West Africa, so I could talk to someone about this green Sahara uh, and, and what it means and everything. And I found a very nice guy. I talked to him for a while. He's uh, he's a, the uh, professor of physical anthropology at like uh, King's College at London, something like that. A, you know, a, I mean, a, a player, a, a big dude. And uh, what he told me, and he's the only person on the planet that is kind of an expert. Everyone pointed me to him. I'm talking to him. He's like, no one knows. We don't know. No one knows. And he's not mad about it. He's not hiding anything. It's just they don't know. I'm like, well, I, I, is he doing research? He's like, no. He, he's got some, he's funded to research something over here. He's got some project he's working on, on, on East, in Eastern Africa. But hmm. it's just where, wherever the funding sends them is where they go. Um, and they're not curious in the way that we want them to be because it's a job. It's their job. They, they, they get up in the morning. They take their shower. They drink their coffee. They go to work. They go to their meetings. They don't give a shit. You know, I mean, it's not, they're not questing for knowledge now if they can get a big research grant to go research something they'll research it but let me tell you if if um if uh lockheed martin is donating 500 million dollars to research aerospace designs i guarantee you that lockheed martin is doing it because it's good for lockheed martin not good for whoever's researching the aerospace designs you know you know whatever it is mm -hmm. so all of this research money comes from someone and somewhere and and all the places that are putting in these big dollars they want to get something from it so in well what what started happening when i got out of the business is we started calling them customers so research grants the people funding the research are the customer well that opens up a big can of worms that's i that's that's a, that's a, how can it be okay if they're the customer then they're always right well if they're always right and i find something that says what they want to find is wrong what are the that means i'm not they're going to find someone else who will say what they want to hear. Right. I'm out of my job. So I'll just tell them what they want to hear. And it's not, and it's not blatant. It's not like people are purposefully lying, but if you're looking at something and you say, okay, was this Atlantis? And, and then you got a room full of 10 people staring back at you and lights are on you. And you know, they want you to say, no, you, you know, that's what they want to hear. And they're asking you, what are you going to, you know, odds are, mm, yeah, it could be, but there's nothing definitive. So I can't really say, okay, no, just like, just like, I'm not gonna be able to pull it up. I, I, I closed my screen. There, there's, there's um, the, the the temple I told you that was north of Mali. You go to the Wikipedia page and it says this is allegedly, uh, you know, a sunken um, megalithic structure. I'm like, why does it say allegedly? Where'd that come from? So I, I went on Wikipedia and and it's got a reference number. So I went to the article and it's all bullshit. It was some some psychic's website from 20 years ago. Um, and, and this, the article doesn't even talk about what a, what academics think, but it's posted on mm -hmm. Wikipedia. And so, and there's a line that says um, uh, the the um, Malta, not Malta, the um, academics, the, the yeah, the Malta academics are not convinced it's worth studying. But it's just made up. But 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 now it's out there. So now guys like me have to dispel people. You know, people do a quick read. They go to Wikipedia and says, oh, 
It says it's alleged, and it says that uh, academics don't think it's worth studying. So it's bullshit. So you know, so Dave's full of shit. You know, is there? But it's baseless. Someone just typed it into Wikipedia, and the, and the reference is is not a real reference. And right. the reference was an article written uh, 15 years ago by a guy who died in 2012, who used to be on Ancient Aliens a lot. Um, and the article, what he actually wrote, it, and he, he wrote it when they had just found it. They only found this temple in 1999. And he wrote, I'm having a hard time you know, convincing academics that it's worth investigating, which is the classic thing ancient alien people say. But here are all the reasons why I think it's a temple. And that's used as a reference on Wikipedia to say academics don't think it's a temple. You know what I mean? It's just, and, and, and all, it's so hard to get real information, I guess, is, is my rant. Yeah, there's so much noise out there on the internet, you know, yeah. and people don't want people. Some people don't want to change what a we've lot, already you know, learned. <laughs> I, I I put my videos out for Atlantis, and I'll get lots of criticism on them, but it's just it's not. Matter of fact, I have lots of criticism on things I actually address in the video, and I debunk just like the person criticizing the video is debunking it, but they didn't watch the video. They just see the title or whatever, and they want to criticize. You know, they want to throw throw cast cast doubt on it, so you get criticism. Mm -hmm. It's not even based on what you're saying, because I agree with them. You know, because everything I'm doing is based on science or reality or at least things we can see. Yeah, and a lot. You know, we got to remember science has to come off of hard facts. Can't come off of you know. Well, that's what. That's not even. That's how. Like, I guess you know. There's some historical science, if that's even what history really is, isn't like that because they're they're very conservative, mm -hmm. um, which which is fun talking to them because they're not often conservative people politically, um, but they're conservative when it comes to their profession. I often rib them sometimes about that. But like uh, what they'll do is they they will pick like for this for one of the monoliths I was looking at, they said, well the date was uh, nine thousand five hundred fifty BC. I'm like. Why wouldn't you just say 9,600? Why, why have a 50-year difference? And it's because they don't want it to line up. They don't want it to be easily identifiable as part of Atlantis because Atlantis will ruin their career. Uh, and I find this a lot. I mentioned those people I, I talked to um, at the different colleges. I, I, had, I had the dean of philosophy at Yale University lined up to talk to me about Plato because I wanted to, when I started this, I, I wanted to get, it, you know, what's the view of can we treat plato's dialogues as true history as opposed to just philosophy mm -hmm. and as, as soon as i started asking her questions about which dialogues i was interested in she picked up pretty much that i was an atlantis person and wouldn't talk to me anymore the mm -hmm. same thing the the i, I was still working with a, a, chem, uh, a, a geochemist that was going over that all that evaporite stuff with me and then when i started asking questions well do you think maybe this is like ancient neolithic you know farming or agriculture and they, they back off and they then they they, they, they they don't want to be part of it now i don't know all the stuff i said you know i no i don't know no that would if it was it would have already been found that's what she actually told me you know if that if those were farms they would have already found it and they would there would be tremendous you know uh noise around it because this this would change everything i'm like well they well they haven't already found it i found it so how do we tell you know but I mean, but she backed away from it and that happened every expert that i've gone to that has any clout once they they will not associate themselves with atlantis um, the only the only way they would do it is if I could bring them on to to poo poo or dismiss it, which of course I'm not interested in doing. So yeah, yeah, horrible. Yeah, um, it just is whatever. So we got to have shows like uh, like yours and and people like me, and we just got to get out there and tell them. You know, we just got to talk about it.
Yeah, I'm all about bringing you know the new and different opinions on, and I want to give those people a voice. And the great thing about podcasting is I can bring whoever I want on. Yeah, you know, and what you have and the research you've done and what you've shown me, I, I'm a believer in it. I mean, I don't see why we wouldn't want to push and research for this kind of type of history when all that evidence is right there anyway. Well, yeah. Because it is me. part of our, it's, it's part of our past. And if we can find out, hey, you know, we had civilizations a little bit further than what we thought. Well, what's, what's before that? What's, before, what's that? before that? Yeah. Well, and what do they know? And what did they do? And more importantly, if these things keep getting wiped out, is there a schedule to it? Is there something we need to know? You know, um, because maybe, maybe there is a pattern. And I kind of believe that a little bit. I don't know what it is, but it see, it does seem like, in fact, there's a chart that I saw that I haven't included in my research because I haven't re-verified it myself. And it looked a little wonky to me, but it showed the, all the, um, the Zodiac uh, houses, whatever, the 12 houses. Mm -hmm. And then it showed the, it, it had like, it was like a circle and it showed the, the years when the earth was in the different houses and what I, and I think it was like the transition from, I don't know, toward, what, what, there was there was a line where the transition at the, the same place, like almost every time, massive bad things happened. You could, they could line up to volcanic eruptions and floods and, you know, the ice ages and all that stuff. And I was like, that is compelling. If that's, that's where I, if I can find enough of this out and then do that research myself and verify that. The zodiac, the zodiac procession. When we change um, the zodiac, there's some of them that seem to align to disasters. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting and very helpful to us as a species. Um, and if I get done with all this and I find there is no pattern, that's helpful to know too. I think so. Yeah, I was. I listened to something and they were talking about how there's a certain time of the year where we go through, actually go through an asteroid belt yeah and then we come back out of it and then there's two cycles that yep. we go through every year that we go through the uh asteroid belt and there's you know there's plenty of speculation out there that when we went through that asteroid belt that's when kind of all of this started kick-starting i kind of think so you know we got it we don't know there's a lot of things that we don't know as a species yeah but you know you go back and you try and line up the, the major disasters we know about and of course it gets harder the farther back you go but it, it seems like every six thousand years something bad happens then every twelve thousand years something bad happens and like every twenty six thousand years and like every hundred and twenty eight thousand years or something mm -hmm. you know and and some of them aren't that aren't that bad um but then some of them seem just absolutely devastating you know they seem to correlate to ice ages and thaws and that kind of stuff and someone had done it i just don't know if they're full of shit because you never know what you're seeing you know i'm just on the internet mm -hmm. so i've got to do the research myself and i haven't done it yet but that'll be once i once i get done with the atlantis stuff and i feel like i've established that date yeah, then the next thing I'm going to do is zodiac procession and uh, cataclysms and see if I can find a pattern. Well, that's going to be interesting. I'm going to have to bring yeah. it. We're, I'm going to have to keep in touch and you're going to have to keep coming on so that way we can uh, uh, learn more about this and everybody can uh, definitely go check you out. Uh, well, I think that's a pretty good episode for right now. What do you think? 
That feels pretty good to me. It's the longest one I've ever done. That's so awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, yeah, very compelling evidence. And I'm, uh, I'm definitely, I, I'm falling down the rabbit hole, I guess you could say. <laughs> There's a lot of rabbit holes that I've fell down during this and I, I'm still hooked. Like yeah. the first one is MK Ultra. That one I'm still hooked on. I don't want to touch it again, but I have to. It's just one of those things that somewhere down the line, it's going to come back and bite me and I need to finish that segment up. That's the first episode yeah. of the podcast. If you go back and listen to it. Okay. 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 And I got a, it's a, it's MK ultra number one. You can't squeeze that out in an hour long podcast period. Yeah. So. Well, that's, you know, and that's what with the Atlanta stuff. I know we're wrapping up. I mean, I wrote the book is a short book. It's just a proof basically. And mm -hmm. the video series I'm doing, I'm, it, I'm going for slow memory. Some of the, some people are like, dude, just, just tell me the answer. I'm like, I've tried just saying the answer and you can't because then you wind up and then you just, you're just another person with, you know, and people just speculate and they argue, you know, it's like, no, this is how it is. We got to lay the thing out. And if no one winds up watching it, no one will. But, but when I'm done with it, it will be a video essay of a history of Atlantis. And it's going to be a unifying theory that um, identifies all the gaps between what we need for Atlantis to be true and what we know academically and there aren't that many gaps and then it'll, just, it'll paint the whole picture. And then it will, I believe it will be the, you know, the seminal work on Atlantis and then I'll move on to something else. And I, I'll, I should be done with this. Oh, I, I think by the end of 2023, if not, if not sooner. That's, that's a long way to go. Yeah, long way to go. It's a lot of videos. <laughs> well, hopefully a lot more research that's going into it by other people that will, uh, add in and, really get it going because it, it's obviously going to take a collective group and a collective mindset to yep uh, yeah, i've got happen david stig hansen is he and i are we're friendly to each other we both we we, we we're probably like graham hancock and randall carlson like we believe like 85 percent of the same stuff but we're in the same area and this guy david he was actually there he was there the entire month of october um and he kept me in the loop and i asked him to check on a couple things and he did so, you know, he, he, he's, he's willing to, he, he's willing to go on the ground and, and do the work. So with me in the books and him on the ground, I think we got a pretty good team. That's awesome. Well, where yeah. can everybody find you? Social media, YouTube, all that. Yeah. I don't know. You know, as you well know, I'm pretty hard to get a hold of. Uh, yep. Frequency99.com is, I know, is the website Frequency99, the nines are numbers, Frequency99.com. That's, if you just go there, then there's contact information from my publicist and, and all that stuff. Um, or if you go to YouTube, the channel is A History Of. So if you go to YouTube forward slash the at sign, A History Of, it'll take you to all these videos. And there's a link to that from that website too, Frequency99.com. Yeah, and then all your books, you got all those books back there we'll have to uh, talk about sooner or later. Yeah, if everyone who listens buys all of my books, I will have a good Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. Christmas is... Two, two and a half weeks. weeks. Yeah. yeah that's oh, crazy. this this won't be this won't be out by then, will it? So oh well. No, you're actually gonna be on my next one up. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. Thank you. Yep. This I mean, this is fresh. This is gonna be coming out Sunday. So my Okay, Sunday. Everybody we got finally gets to kind of see my beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> got, yeah, they got they got all they got they're gonna have a big weekend. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. And like I said, you're always welcome on. Uh I enjoy this conversation and I believe there's probably more to it that 
we yeah. should probably talk about. <laughs> Good, John. I, I appreciate your professionalism also and your questions. Very, very, very good interview. So, oh, I will like definitely I said, have more once I once I watch this again and I go through and edit. I will have plenty. Okay, yeah, ask me. So. And you know, when if we do this again, whatever, I, I don't mind tough questions or naysayer questions either. You know, I, I get all of them and I've got answers for all of them. So, anything so that the people listening or you or whatever, you know, get, ask everything you want to ask. Um, and there's either an answer or there's not, but I know whether there is one or there isn't, so I can let you know, and then we can make sure we're on the same page. Yeah, and if you're listening out there and you want to uh, you want to send me a question to add on to my list, I'll feel free to ask it. That would be a yeah. good way to do it. Yeah, please. Uh, very much so. Yep. All right, man. That's all the time we have for today. You can find us on our new website, thebceshow.com. Go check it out where you can contact us and subscribe, but remember to give us a rate and review. It helps the podcast with that pesky algorithm. Thanks for listening.